Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I continue to say without any hesitation or reservation, abortion is not the issue moving people this midterm. It's not. It is clearly what the political left want to be the issue. They are desperate for this to be the issue. They will do anything at all to make this the issue. But it's not the issue. It's not the issue when you talk about economics. It's not the issue when we discuss things like gas prices. It's not the issue when we are discussing the border and immigration. These things matter more. They matter much, much more. But I think you'd be a fool to think that the abortion conversation isn't a part of the conversation. Which is to say that there are people fighting restrictions all across the country, including right here in Indiana. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, good to be with you. Uh, The weather, uh, so nice. I, I, I am going to smoke all the cigars. I will be outdoors having a cigar. Come find me. I'll be somewhere. Um, And, and what to smoke today? Oh, I don't know. I guess with a little bit of fall in the air, I think you could go uh, a little bit bigger, you know, uh, play yourself in some 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 broadleaf uh, r- right there, uh, something something a little stronger. You could probably go with something with some uh, maybe some 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 cocoa uh, kind kind of notes uh, to it. That's that's where I would play. Ask your local tobacconist wherever uh, they may be. You're looking for something a little bigger in that medium category, a little bit of cocoa note. See see where they send you. Try it. See where they send you. Um. The, the abortion conversation is not the number one subject of, of elections. And I, I have the data to, to back that up. I have got the data when, you know, you take a, a look at what is, is um, where, where America's at, what Americans are looking for, uh, how s- subjects are really getting discussed with social media and other places. And, and, and you realize that uh, abortion is, is not there. It's 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 not on, on the list. Inclu- th- abortion, racism, climate change, these aren't the top subjects. Economy, inflation, wages, violence, these are the top subjects. Well, of course they are. But you'll notice how different it is from the media play about what they tell us what the top subjects are. And this is how you know that media is engaged in a conversation of bias, how they're engaged in a conversation, not of facts, logic, uh, and reason, but rather in uh, a conversation of ideology. This ideological conversation, I don't believe, is doing them well. And I think one of the places that this was shown is that Stacey Abrams clip from yesterday where she's like, well, there's no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. There is no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body away from her. There's no heartbeat. It's a manufactured sound designed to allow men to take control of women's bodies. First, we should break down how anti-woman that is. There are plenty of women who are opposed to abortion, who want abortion outlawed. 
And to say that somehow uh, those women are fools because they're just letting men take over their bodies is such an insult to women as to be believed. But as we all know, if you're a woman and you're a conservative, they don't even think you're a woman. So therefore, insulting you is totally fine. There's no heartbeat at six weeks. There is a flutter that appears in the area where the heart then grows. As I said yesterday, and I want you to know how much I mean it, and I think you're with me, if this is the argument Stacey Abrams, the gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, Democrat, wants to take to election day, my God, take it all the way. All the way, Stacey Abrams. You should be having that conversation everywhere. Every television uh, network, every radio show, every podcast, every speech. Why don't you say there is no heartbeat at six weeks? That is, the, the level of ignorance, the level of ignorance is absolutely, positively stunning. Stunning that she can make this claim. That's how radical they are because you and I both know that claim is nuts. But they like nuts. They like doing this. They like trying to punch down and and, and literally uh, uh, punching on on people who are are pro-life. But what they did in this case is they looked at the country and said, "Uh, yeah, we're just going to uh, uh, lie to you now. We're, we're going to pretend something that is, isn't based on a technicality that nobody buys into, and, 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 and that's good. Even independents are like, okay, this is ignorant, because it is. Abortion isn't the subject that is moving America at the polls. It is a subject that states are dealing with in the, in the uh, fallout of overturning Roe v. Wade. Indiana is not alone. And in Indiana, of course, you had a judge grant the preliminary injunction of the law. You saw a judge do this. Say, yeah, we're not going to allow Indiana's law uh, to go forward anymore. We think that the lawsuits being brought by the ACLU and others certainly do engage this idea that there might very well be a right to privacy in the Indiana Constitution... And, well, there would be irreparable harm if we didn't stop uh, the law. And people are cheering this. This is so great. This is about a woman's uh, reproductive rights and and the the evil Republicans attack on women. Again, plenty of Republican women oppose abortion. It's not a, a, a repressing of women. It's a nonsense argument. I wish these people would engage honestly, but, you know, you, you can only hope for so much in the world. And abortion is not a reproductive right because abortion doesn't engage any level of reproduction. It's the opposite. And yesterday, I spoke with the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, about this subject, and specifically where this judge was saying that uh, the the um, idea of a right to privacy, whether or not it exists in the state constitution, is indeed an open question. As the judge said, what did the Attorney General think? I'll tell you that the leaps that have to be made uh, in order to come to that conclusion are, are wide and long. Um, and many. Uh, There's no right to privacy explicitly laid out in our Indiana Constitution. So what what the judge did and what the other side has to do is say, when our Indiana Constitution, like our federal one, talks about liberty, the word liberty, 
inferred in that is a right to privacy. And then as part of your right to privacy, you have uh, a right to abortion. And the reason that is 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 because of some 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 other things. Um, this right to not be unduly burdened, uh, uh, this, this right to bodily autonomy. So a lot of leaps and a lot of big ones to try to get to this point today. And you and I have talked and you have talked with your listeners about this idea of the plain meaning of our constitutions, you know, the textualism that's involved. You know, these ideas are timeless uh, that are found, or these self-governance ideas are timeless that are found in our Constitution. They shouldn't be manipulated. It's not a quote-unquote living document. And the, uh, the, uh, the conclusion today from the trial court, and there'll be higher courts that look at this for sure, the conclusion today used by the trial court was one of, no, it's a living document. Um, the, the, the people back then might have been bad. The people We've evolved since then, and we can't possibly rely on those old words to to protect unborn babies. Uh, we have they, they they wouldn't have considered a woman's bodily and a bodily autonomy, for example, and so now we have to infer all these things into those words. Now, the judge writing, uh, and I'm only reading in part, quote, there is reasonable likelihood that the significant restriction of personal autonomy offends the liberty guarantees of the Indiana Constitution. You're saying that it it is a leap to make this claim that a a privacy, uh, for example, uh, that any level of privacy exists in the Indiana Constitution. They're not making it on the federal Constitution level. They're making it on the Indiana Constitution level. Uh, level and your argument is they're jumping through a lot of hoops in order to get that to happen yeah they're inferring a lot that's not written in our indiana constitution and and you know i'm not saying there's absolutely no right to privacy that you could take from our Indiana constitution but they're taking it so far as to extinguish the life of an unborn child and in, in order to do that they're saying look we can't really have contemplated those things back then when this was written, even though we had an abortion ban before. Uh, and we got to we, we got to infer a, a, a larger right to privacy in this word liberty that we do find. And then we have to infer that part of privacy means that you have a right to an abortion because you have a right to your body, body bodily autonomy, completely discounting and disregarding the life of an unborn child. That's the fact that there are two lives, Tony. And so we're going to have to get that figured out as we go up the chain here in the court. But the, the bottom line, as I describe all that, what, you're, what, what I'm describing is the fact that a judge here said, you know what, I'm going to infer all these things and I'm going to take the words of the Constitution and then words that aren't there in the Constitution and I'm going to make this mean something that I need it to mean. Part of your argument, talking to the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, uh, you and your office had put in a court filing, and I'm quoting here, the constitutional text nowhere mentions abortion, and Indiana has prohibited or heavily regulated abortion by statute since 1835, before, during, and after the time when the 1851 Indiana Constitution was drafted, debated, and ratified. Is this going to be the argument of your office going forward on appeal? Well, uh, Tony, you read three sentences. Okay, it's a multiple-page brief, obviously. So there's going to be a lot of diff- a lot of different arguments. That certainly is going to be one that the state has a right uh, to to make laws for its society uh, based on the fact that 
the, the lawmakers are elected by the people. So, uh, again, there's, there's, there's no way to infer all these other things. For example, uh, this, this, this opinion says that, well, women didn't have the right to own property in our, in our Indiana Constitution. And it's true. It was silent. And then a statute came along, and, and the General Assembly said, you know what? Women have the right to own property, of course. And no one would argue with that now. Well, the same today. Uh, and with this abortion law, the, the legislature has a right to put rights and restrictions in, even if the Constitution is explicitly silent, as it is uh, on abortion. So, you know, we look forward to using the trial court's arguments really against itself as as the rulings appealed that's just some of my conversation with the attorney general todd rokita uh, that took place yesterday uh, on this subject i think the thing that the, the takeaway is that the, the the fight in the states is well on and there are going to be places where there are small fights there are going to be places where there are large fights i just am, am still stunned and amazed at anybody who didn't think it was going to be a fight I'm amazed that uh, people would think that somehow the the pro quote unquote choice movement would just be like, okay, we lost, that's it. No, no, no. When a, when you when abortion is your religion, you you uh, stick with it. When you you stick with it, which is no, there's nothing surprising. Maybe when you look at it through that view, that they bring it up 24 seven and think it should be a big mover in the election, or they want it to be a big mover in the election, even though it won't be a big mover in the election. The pro-life people, their religion forms their opinion that abortion is wrong. And anybody who thinks these people are giving up is out of their head. I will say that it's clear from a, from a political look that they were caught flat-footed in the recognition that overturning Roe v. Wade was part one. Part two would be you're now going to be on the record with your position on abortion. You, you, you're you okay with some restrictions. You're okay with a lot of restrictions. You don't want any restrictions. Uh, you you don't want abortion at all. You don't care if it's rape, incest, and stuff, the other. You're going to be on the record. And I think for a lot of people, they didn't recognize what what that meant, what that was going to mean, how that was going to to uh, be, be seen and shared. And, and, and they should have been. I mean, they really, 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 really should have been prepared for that. And that they weren't, to, to me, is, is, is very, very awkward. Extremely strange. And, and I, I would argue, uh, to a large extent, problematic. That they were not prepared. And I think that's why Lindsey Graham came in and said, oh, I'm, I'm standing up for, for life and we should have a national law. No, 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 no. You could have gone for a national law Anytime you wanted to, even with Roe v. Wade there. Or you could have said, if they overturn Roe versus Wade, I have a piece of legislation ready to go. I mean, you had to leak. You could have done this, but you didn't do this. As a matter of fact, you had said you were a believer in states' rights, if the story goes correctly, and then all of a sudden said you said it's not a states' rights issue. I think Lindsey Graham looks very bad in all of this. Because if you wanted a piece of national legislation, you would have said, the second they overturn Roe v. Wade, I'm introducing this legislation. Here it is for everyone to see. Here's where I'm at. And by the way, a, a ban on abortion post 15 weeks is actually more generous than the vast amount of countries in the world. It is. I mean, it, it, it just is 
far more generous in terms of the amount of time than the vast amount of countries in the world. But sure, still called the United States an oppressor. You see what's going on in Iran? You see uh, what's happening with people fighting back against the morality police killing a woman because she wasn't wearing a veil? Yeah, tell me more about the abusive United States. It's embarrassing. Stop it already. You sound silly. But this fight on abortion is going to continue. It's going to continue. And so we're all clear, it's never going to be done because the sides fundamentally disagree. And so where does this leave me and, and where is what is my take? I have made the argument before and I haven't changed that abortion doesn't come to an end legally. Legislation doesn't end this conversation. Abortion ends culturally. Abortion ends when people say, you know what? This is not something that you do as birth control. This is not something that should be recreational. This has to stop. We have to recognize what it is, and then it stops. That's how it's going to happen. I believe culturally is how all things move, and that's how it has staying power. So you have to win the fight culturally. The legislation will come and go, and laws may very well change and get morphed over the years. If culturally people recognize that abortion should not happen for light and transient causes, it shouldn't be done recreationally, it shouldn't be done because you don't want to be inconvenienced, but rather there might be an actual need medically for it, and it should be safe, rare, and legal, I think we'll all be in a better spot. We'll see if it happens. I'm Tony Katz. So this weekend, including uh, some ribs and, and a brisket because uh, Jewish holidays, uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year is coming. So I'm not going to be here on, on Monday. I'm, I'm taking the day. I'm, I'm taking the time. I'm, I'm cooking well. Uh, but, but over the weekend, you've got Slawfest going on at Sullivan Hardware and Garden. It's Pat Sullivan. Come on. You got you to love the guy. He's a ridiculous man, but one heck, of a, one heck of an operation he's got over there. So that's 71st and Keystone. And then uh, Folds of Honor. Uh, their gala is happening. I think you can still get tickets. Indiana.foldsofhonor.org. I'm the MC uh, for for the evening. They raise money. And they do this all over the country uh, to give scholarships uh, to the children of fallen soldiers and and law enforcement officers, firefighters, uh, to, to to help them with their their education, other things. It's it, great organization, great time. Uh, so that's Saturday night. So I'm the MC there. And then, and then, uh, after that, uh, I am scheduled to be on uh, with Lawrence Jones on Fox news, uh, Saturday night. So that's happening, uh, late night. And then, and then the brisket will go on. And then, uh, the, uh, the, my, my watch shall begin. Right. Right. I'll be, I'll be like, uh, the night's watch. I'll be, I'll be watching the wall. Looking for white walkers or basically anybody who wants to steal my brisket. And I, and I do fight to, to win. So that's that's what's happening uh, right there. Some of the things going on uh, this uh, weekend. Meanwhile, the Colts get ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, but they're not a good team. And the question is why? And can anything turn it around? JMV from The Fan joins us to break down the Colts' chances and what has to get fixed. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So the Colts are going to try and win a game. I know, it's shocking. Shocking, but true. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's good to be with you. It was the ridiculous tie 
against Houston, and it, and it was. It, it was ridiculous to be down 20-3 to in the fourth quarter, to be able to have 17 unanswered, then not to be able to score in overtime, including the field goal that led to uh, the uh, cutting of Rodrigo Blankenship, and then to head down to Jacksonville to get your ass handed to you, 24 nothing to look listless, to look sad, to look weak, to look pathetic. And, and you know, you hear the Colts this whole week. They're like, hey, we're putting it behind us. Hey, you know what? Uh, that, that game stunk on ice, and we're just gonna we're just going to go ahead to the next game. I don't know if it's that simple. I don't know if it's that easy. I don't know if that they're that prepared to do it. But at least it's possible they're going to have Pittman and Pierce to be able to throw to. JMV joins us right now from 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, 3 to 6 p.m., taking on the 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs and uh, Patrick Mahomes, who loses Tariq Hill and doesn't seem to be missing a beat in that offense uh, right there. Before we get into the game against KC, let's take it back to Indianapolis this week, how they've been responding to this loss at Jacksonville. You think it's all window dressing, or is this a team that's actually focused? Um, I don't know, in fact, what it is. Here's what I think. I think there's a lot to lean on here, Tony, because there is a history with this team playing well after the first couple of weeks. But I think you brought up an, an, an interesting point a moment ago, and – this is not like what we have seen. Like last week in Jacksonville, with all the time you've had, and I talk about time to prepare. Remember, the Colts got clowned by them and bounced out of the postseason back in January by a lot of the same new head coach, mind you, but a lot of the same components that were on that particular Jacksonville team. And a lot of these players told me leading up to camp, into training camp, that they really wanted to get payback. They remembered that. They had to basically soak in that the entire offseason and hear about it the entire offseason. And for them to go in, Tony, and play at that level of football last week in Jacksonville, that's why this whole thing does not ring familiar to me as far as Colts teams of the past getting off the deck and then playing better because this team has played, honestly, six and a half to seven of the worst quarters of football that we have seen. There's only been one quarter, really, and that's the fourth quarter in Houston that helped get them that tie that's even uh, of sound redeeming quality whatsoever. So to me, this is different. Now, granted, can they go in Sunday and can they change the climate? Can they wipe the slate clean and, you know, beat Kansas City and then change everybody's mind? They can. But this, to me, looks like more of an epidemic than it does a problematic blip on the radar. So, the but what makes team, it the epidemic? What, I'm about. what makes it the epidemic? Because you're saying that there is something uh, to, yes. to the system that's a problem or to these players that's a well, problem. No, I, I think you go back to how they got bounced out of the postseason in January, and you play like that against that team in week number two in Jacksonville. I, I think that it's more than just, you know, that moment they played better than us. And you're right. If you're going to look around, you can look at a couple of things here. Let's start with the offensive line, Tony. That's the highest-paid offensive line in the NFL, right? And you saw how they played on Sunday in Jacksonville. That should never happen. So if you're thinking about what might be coming down – here in, in relatively quick terms. People want to talk about Frank Reich. Yeah, I don't think Frank Reich, if they go, for example, 0-3-1, is going to be safe by any stretch of the imagination. But think about a guy like Chris Grosser, who is the offensive line coach, and that offensive line is playing so down to what you expect. That's a guy that if he wants to keep his gig, I'm assuming he would want that offensive line to play a lot better. And 
if you're Frank Reich, maybe you have lost the locker room. You know, maybe this whole cool and calm demeanor is not what they need right now. Maybe they need that added sense of urgency. I wouldn't mind if somebody yelled about it. You know, last week, Shaquille Leonard, Tony, he talked midweek about Jacksonville being overblown. It's another week of football. He sounded so much like Frank Reich, and that's not Shaquille Leonard. Shaquille Leonard got to where he is in the NFL because he played with that motivational chip on his shoulder. People told him he couldn't play at that level. He despised it. He soaked it up. He took it and used it as motivation. This team kind of sounded like their head coach, and that, to me, is not what's necessary here. And I think that's a good reason to look at it and wonder if maybe they haven't lost the voice to Frank Reich in that locker room. It remains to be seen. Because well, wait, you're not, never, you're not suggesting never. that they lost the voice of Coach Reich. You're saying that the problem is they're emulating the voice of Coach Reich. Talking to JMV well, uh, well, from 93.5. I mean, yeah, exactly. Hold on yeah. a second. Talking to JMV, 93.5, 107.5, uh, the fan, 3 to 6 p.m. is fr- and, and so this leads us to, right, that's right, they're taking the voice of Frank Reich. Is Frank Reich the problem? Is he the wrong coach for, for the team, or does he have the wrong coaching style, and can you change? styles uh, you can't change styles at all and that's kind of what i was alluding to there it seems like this is a team that may need a swift kick and he's not going to provide that swift kick and he's just not that type of guy so you don't have that available to you right now that's why i mentioned you know losing the voice of the locker room it just kind of you know ends up being you know the wallpaper or the paint on the wall it's just another thing it's you know something else you barely notice if anything else and that Tony, in terms is how you as a head coach end up losing a team. So it makes me wonder, because if you can't get a group motivated, and it's not like they had a near miss, Tony, in Jacksonville last week. They got completely blown out. They were not in it in any facet. And that, to me, on Sunday looked more about Jacksonville being a much better organization, much more fit organization top to bottom than it did just a week two where a home team had you in the crosshairs right there. So that's what concerns me, I guess, more than anything else as we enter this Kansas City game. And then, you know, the week after that, the uh, Tennessee Titans come to town. So they they got some winning to do, or I would think that maybe some new ground could be broken as far as decision-making from Jim Irsay. But now let's take a look at what they do have. They have uh, Alec Pierce back in the lineup, it seems. They have Michael Pittman back in the lineup. It, it, it seems uh, this Kansas City team offensively is unbelievably good, always has been. Defensively, how does this offense match up? Well, here's one thing they can do, right? And you're talking about Kansas City. You made a great point about how Kansas City offensively is moving on without Tyree Kill. Then they absolutely are. You go back to 2019, and a lot of faces have changed, but you go back to 2019, and the philosophy holds true. They went on the road to Kansas City on a Sunday night. They ran the football. They held time of possession, and they got after Mahomes. They actually dinged up Mahomes, and – He was not in the rest of the game what he was in the first quarter after his offensive lineman stepped on him because of a pass rush off the edge that the Colts gave. So that, to me, is essentially a way that you can hang with and then maybe defeat Kansas City is by that particular formula of what they showed us back in 2019. The problem is in the areas that we're talking about right here that should be better, they haven't been. Talking about the offensive line, you know, not even – pass protecting for Matt Ryan, but opening up holes last weekend for Jonathan Taylor. That was non-existent. And the defensive line that we really held out so much more from 
in particular, Ngakwe coming off the edge. Uh, he has been absolutely invisible. And those are the types of things you need to beat Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City anywhere, in your building, at Arrowhead, wherever. I just don't know if they're going to have that product appear on Sunday, Tony, because we have not seen it yet. When you talk about chips on the shoulder, JMV, uh, it's hard to talk about uh, chip on the shoulder without talking about Quentin Nelson uh, because this is a guy who is now uh, unbelievably well-paid but plays rough and tumble. Homedale, New Jersey, I'm a Middletown, New Jersey guy. It was right across the street. Homedale was literally across the street from where uh, I, I grew up in Middletown, New Jersey. That That's where he's from. I know these people. Uh, a good amount of money uh, in, in Homedale, but uh, sure, a couple of chips on the shoulder, and that's the way the, the, the guy plays. When we talk about taking on the personality of, of Frank Reich, whether that works or doesn't work, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who does that. Is this offensive line taking what happened at Jacksonville personally based on what you've been hearing? I hope they are, but the kind of the problem is that you got a left tackle situation where you've been rotating guys. And, and I'm sorry, Tony, that's never going to work any, any way, anywhere. So you're rotating Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman. I know what they want to do with the rookie. They want to work him in. But, you know, listen, if you think he's good enough to have the reps in a game situation, go ahead and start the rookie. I mean, he couldn't be much worse, I don't think, than Matthew Pryor so far. So you haven't gotten the left tackle right. That's problematic. One of the essential positions in the NFL on any team. The right tackle, you know, you, you've got Braden Smith, who's been playing down for now a number of games, even going back to last year. Um, and you have the highest-paid offensive line, again, of the NFL. Ryan Kelly at center hasn't played well either. This is a foundational block from Chris Ballard that is – basically in disarray last weekend in Jacksonville, and it can never, ever look like that. So your idea is accurate. I mean, if you're able to, with what you have foundationally built, your offensive line kind of move that way, running attack, time of possession, all that, you know, controlling that clock, putting points on the board, don't waste possessions, that's great in theory. But unfortunately, this team, this offensive line has not played like that recently, and that's what's scary, and that's even further scary because being a building block like this, this is for the long-term future. And if it's not working right now, I don't know how much stock you look into the future as it working. And, you know, that's, that's going to lead us, I think, to an even greater conversation of problems on this team if they continue to lose, if they continue to play down, as we've seen so far this season. The Colts have what percent chance to come away with a victory this Sunday? I think it's very low. Um, I, I hope. This is what I think. Do I think they're going to play better? Yes. I just don't think they have enough in the tank right now. I just don't think they're going to be able to run the football or produce as what it's going to take to beat Kansas City with a high-powered offense. And I think you also factor in Tony. Andy Reid has been sitting on this game for the past 10 or so days. Uh, That's an issue as well. But I will say this, Tony, if they go out there and they look as they did, if they get blown out, if this game is over before the half, we're going to be talking, you and I, on Monday morning, we'll be talking about some some things regarding the head coach and a path that I think that we'll be on for the first time in the Jim Ursay decision-making of the Colts here in Indianapolis. He's never done that before. Uh, his dad used to do it constantly. He's never done that before. I mean, he wants that stability. But I think if this is an embarrassing type of game, I think we walk down that path coming up on Monday morning, you and I, conversationally. We'll see. Hopefully not, but I can see it happening. Before I let you go, uh, this story around the Boston Celtics coach, whose, whose name, uh, give, me, uh, give me the proper pronunciation. 
Uh, Ime Udoka. It's Udoka. Okay, I wanted to make uh-huh. sure I was right. Yeah. And the the story is is that he was engaged in an, an inappropriate but consensual relationship with a staffer on the team. He's the head coach of the Boston Celtics in the NBA. A great first season taken over for Brad Stevens. Takes him to the NBA Finals. Um, but inappropriate relationship. And it turns out that the, that the Celtics have now suspended him for the year. One of the people commenting about this is over there at ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, who's, you know, sometimes all mouth uh, and, and, and no thought. And he engages this purely from a race-based perspective because Udoka, uh, it, it, I'm saying it right, Udoka or Udoka? Udoka. Udoka, being black, Stephen A. Smith, who is black, says this is all racial, and he goes on this rant. Ain't that being done to a brother? Because I got news for you, America. There's plenty of white folks in professional sports that's doing their thing. And I say that not complimentary. I don't see the information out about them. Why are we talking about this now? We got to talk about it because it's the news. Ain't none of our damn business unless you fire him. But if you keep him, it's none of our business. It should have never been. It should have never been put out there by the Celtics organization. And he goes on to blame the Celtics for putting it out there. The Celtics are wrong for letting us know they've suspended their coach for an improper relationship, that if they have kept that quiet, that would have blown up in their face too? What's, what is Stephen A. Smith's argument here, or does it even matter compared to what the Celtics have done in suspending the coach for the year, and is that the right move or the wrong move? Well, I mean, I, I don't know, again, if, if you get busted. It seems like if you get busted, you get busted. seems like the other guys did get busted for this. Um, if there are, I'm, listen, he's probably right about that. There are probably plenty of people, no matter what color we're talking about, uh, doing things like this. I mean, we're not naive to the world in which we live right now. But to me, here's what it is, and he's, he's out all over the Celtics about this. To me, it sounds more, Tony, like they are maybe holding back and protecting other aspects of this year-long suspension that have not been out for public consumption as of yet, if that makes sense. Because this year-long suspension to me seems ridiculous within just the context of of their organizational-based rules. So to me, and this is just me thinking out loud here, to me, there's probably something else going on that we don't know about that is the reason why they ended up going with this particular suspension blueprint. So we'll see, because all this stuff normally does come out. But that's the first thing I thought yesterday when I heard the story. There has to be something else to this. And at some point, I bet we find out, as we always do, that there is something else to this. And by the way, this is not in jest whatsoever. But what in the heck, Tony, cheating on Nia Long Nia Long, one of uh, the greats of the 1990s, the actress Nia Long. What in the world is going on around here? Who uh, cheats on Nia Long, Tony? People, Come on, man. People do what people do, and I am not somebody who gets to comment on that one. But is there more <laughs> to the situation than we know? That's an interesting point. I am not yeah, down I'm with Stephen A. Smith. You count on it. Tony, actually, yeah. in closing here, count on Real quick. I will count, I will count, I will count on it. I am not down with Stephen A. Smith's analysis. JMV, 93.5, uh, The Fan, 3 to 6 p.m. Catch him uh, then over there. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. When a governor 
acts unilaterally and refuses to coordinate with other government officials, that is when um, problems arise. And that is when we deplore political stuntsmanship, when we're dealing with the lives of vulnerable individuals who are reflective of a challenge that our entire hemisphere uh, faces. Our problem is we don't have a secure border, Secretary Mayorkas. You're going to blame DeSantis, Abbott, Ducey, the governors of Florida, Texas, and Arizona, respectively. Stuntsmanship? This is an American problem. You will not solve the border issues. You don't even discuss, the honestly, the border issues affecting America. And you figure as long as it bothers El Paso, that's okay because we reimburse them for the money they spend. That's not the argument. The argument is we shouldn't be allowing this to begin with. But policy-wise, you've done a terrible job. You want to keep blaming Trump. It's been two years. It's on you, Boo Bear. It's on you. It's stuntsmanship? No, it is letting people know of the problem that Joe Biden's policies create and you implement and you are not honest about Secretary Mayorkas. This is on you. So we're clear. Find everything, TonyCats.Locals.com. That's the place to be, not Facebook. TonyCats.Locals.com. That's the future, baby. That's where we're going. There's free stuff. You can subscribe. All good things, TonyCats.Locals.com. I'm off on, uh, on Monday for the Jewish holiday, so have a wonderful Rosh Hashanah. I'll catch you Tuesday, everybody. Take care.